0: Hey, everybody. um, My name is Christian May. I've been a student here at Valley Creek for about five years. Uh, I'd like to share some verses out of Luke 22, uh, 31 through 34, and 54 through 62. Then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to have you sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have repented, strengthen your brothers." He said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then they arrested him and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl saw him and sat near the fire and gazed at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. About an hour later, another man firmly declared, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly.
1: Thank you. You guys give Christian a hand this morning. Here you go, man. You might need that. All right. Hey, it's uh, I. I spent eight and a half years in student ministry, and it still encourages my heart to see students uh, involved, participating in the the church, the worship gathering. So excited for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, like. Christian said, we're going to be in Luke 22 today. We're going to look at uh, a few verses that he read. I don't, if you guys know me, I don't have the capacity to talk about all those verses and still get us out of here before supper. So, uh, (laughs) if you were here last week, we started a new series called Surrounding the Cross. And the whole premise is that uh, over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, leading up to uh, Good Friday, I got those backwards um, we are just going to look at some of the circumstances, events, specifically some of the individuals uh, that are at play there in those, uh, those days, hours leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and ultimately his, his resurrection. And so uh, if, if you were here last week, you know that we spent some time looking at the life of Judas. And uh, kind of two big takeaways from last week, if you weren't here, just recap, uh, is, is one... Uh, I tried to point out the, s- the seriousness, the danger of temptation, especially giving your life over to temptation just uh, over and over and over repeatedly without putting that to death. And then, two, um, just wanted to, to point out uh, the danger of being familiar with Jesus but not actually possessing saving faith in Jesus. All right, so that was last week. And man, uh, let's just acknowledge if you're here last week, last week was heavy, right? It was a heavy week. It was a heavy week to prepare for. It was a heavy sermon to preach. My guess is that when you left here last Sunday, you didn't just like feel blessed and encouraged and ready to float out the door, right? Um, and I say that because this week, if if all goes as planned, uh, you you will leave encouraged, right? I, I don't want to just skim over the heavy stuff. It's in the Bible for a reason. Uh, it's good for us to dwell and hear some of the hard words sometimes. I think I said last week that it's the hard words that oftentimes make soft hearts. Uh, but my hope, if I do my job this morning, is that you will leave this week encouraged. All right? That That is my hope for this morning. And so uh, to kind of tell you where we're going, as, as Christian pointed out, we're going to be looking at the life of Peter. Or not really the life of Peter, but just... Uh, kind of some defining moments in Peter's life from Luke chapter 22. Uh, before we jump in and look at that, I have to admit, um, I have some hesitancy, maybe some bitterness, unresolved bitterness in my soul, because uh, I couldn't prepare this week without thinking of St. Peter's. And so, <laughs> if you know, you know. All right, the, the loss from last Thursday night still lingering in the back of my mind. Although now, with the way the tournament's played out, like, I'm all in on the Peacocks. Like, they are our last hope to beat the Duke Blue Devils, I think. So, like, we're, yeah, you're, our, you're Razorbacks, man. They, they, they let us down. All right? But we're, we're cheering for the Peacocks this afternoon, right? Come on. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. So, anyways, here's what we're going to do in our time together this morning. We're going to look primarily at two verses, right? 31, 32. I want to, like most of us are familiar with uh, the Jesus predicting Peter's denial. We're familiar with the account uh, that the Christian just read of, of Peter actually denying Jesus. Most of us are probably have some familiarity with that. Maybe not all the details, but you're aware of it probably. But what I want to do is spend our time together looking at Jesus' words to Peter in the moments before he actually predicted his denial. Right, because I think Jesus says some really profound things in just two verses that it's easy to just sort of skim over, and so we're going to spend the bulk of our time together this morning in two verses. And if you are thinking, "Hey, two verses, we're going to get out of here, oh, we're going to get out of here early," right, you are either new or you have not been paying attention for the last year. All right, so here we go. Luke chapter twenty-two. Look at verse thirty-one. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. All right? So he's talking to Peter. It says, Simon. You're like, what in the world is going on here? If you're not familiar, Simon, or Peter used to be Simon before Jesus gave him a new name, uh, kind of a new identity. And so this is Jesus talking to Peter. Right? Says, Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Right? But the, the word you in this verse specifically is, is not just about Peter. So he's talking to Peter, but he's not just talking about Peter. The word you is actually plural. So to put it in language that you might understand better, it's Satan demanded to have all y'all. Right? Or if you're from eastern Kentucky, Satan demanded to have all-ians, <laughs> right? all right? Right? This is plural. So, so Jesus is talking to Peter saying, hey, Satan demanded to have all of you, that he might sift you like wheat, right? And so more specifically, what's, what Jesus is saying here, that phrase, sift you like wheat, okay, it's just kind of a, it was a cultural phrase that they would have used. It basically describes this time of testing and trial, right? So Jesus is, is talking to Peter, pulls him aside, uh, and it says, hey, Satan has taken an interest in you all. Satan's desire is to discourage and to destroy you, right? Because, I mean, that's, that's always his point. Peter would go on to write later in his letter, 1 Peter, that, uh, that, that the enemy, Satan, is creeping around like a lion, seeking someone to devour and destroy. But that's kind of Jesus' point here, right? That, that Satan demanded to have you, that he might test you, that he might discourage you, that he might destroy you. And the reason why is because of the events that are about to take place, right, the Crucifixion, the resurrection, right? If Satan is able to discourage and destroy the disciples on the front side, well, then they're of no use on the back side of this. When they're like, they, discouraged and destroyed disciples cannot, like, preach the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on the back side. So Satan demanded to have them that he might discourage them, destroy them, sift them. Like we, but there's a little nugget here that, again, we skim over if we're not careful. And I don't have time. I would love to spend a ton of time on it, but it's not the direction of the whole sermon. Uh, but did you notice, right, Jesus says, Satan demanded to have you. In other words, like, Satan had to ask, he had to appeal to Jesus to, to have them. Because Satan has no authority over them. Right, they were disciples, followers of Jesus. Right, just think about it. It's easy to skim over, but the reality is, is that's true of you. If you're a child of God, right, you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. I mean, the enemy has no authority, he has no jurisdiction over you. Right, he might land a few punches every now and, now and then, but it's because he's defeated, right? He's just swinging. He's trying to, right, he knows he's defeated. All right, so Satan has to uh, appeal to Jesus for access to the disciples that he might discourage and destroy them. And, and again, man, I could spend a ton of time on the significance of that, but what I want you to just put in your back pocket, right? The days when you feel like the enemy's winning, the day when you feel like uh, Satan might be sifting you like wheat, is just remember that that he has no authority over you if you are a child of God. None. All right, so, moving on. Verse 32. We are making good time. But 32 has a lot more in it, so don't get excited yet. Verse 32. Jesus goes on. So Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. All right, now press pause there. So earlier, Jesus was saying to... uh, To Peter, he's talking about all the disciples, right? Satan demanded to have all y'all. But here, the language changes. Because the you in this verse is singular. So Jesus is no longer talking about all the disciples. He's talking specifically to Peter. So Jesus, in effect, is saying, Satan demanded to have all of you, all of you disciples. But Peter, I have prayed for you. Now, on one hand, if you're Peter, that's good news, right? That Jesus would pull you aside and say, Hey, man, that's when you to know I've, I've prayed for you. How encouraging is that? That Jesus, the Son of God, prayed for me, Peter. Right? I mean, I, listen, I, I love, I get notes from you guys sometimes. I get emails, I get cards, just letting you know that you pray for me, you pray for my family. That's encouraging. I love it. Thank you. Okay? Uh, but I'm just going to be straight with you. Like if, if Jesus came to me and was like, Hey, just want you to know, I was having my quiet time this morning at the right hand of God the Father. just want you to know I prayed for you. Like, that's a different level of encouragement. I'm just going to be straight with you. All right? so on one hand, Peter's got to be encouraged to know that Jesus prayed for him. But then on the other side, remember, Jesus was talking about all the disciples, but now he's focused in on Peter. And he was Peter, I just want you to know, man, I prayed for you. So, if you're Peter, you're like, one hand you're encouraged, but the other hand it's like, wait a second. Pray, why just me? Right? Like, you, you just, we're talking about all the disciples, but now you're talking about just praying for me. What's, is there something going on that I don't know about? You know, like, uh, I mean, just, just think about the, the reality that Jesus knows things before they actually happen. Right? And so, Jesus, knowing that, Goes to Peter. is like, hey, man, I just want you to know, uh, I, I want, I want you to know that I prayed for you. So, if you're Peter, not only are you may be encouraged, but on the other hand, you you may be like, well, wait a second, what's what's happening here? I mean, I know you said that Satan demanded to have, uh, have us so that he could sift us like wheat, but I mean, like you're not going to let that happen, right? And like you know things that. Haven't happened yet, you know what's going on. Like, is there something going on that, that you just have not filled me in on? Like, why are you praying specifically for me? And so, look at the substance of Jesus' prayer in verse 32. It says, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. So, think back to what Jesus has already said that Satan demanded to have you like, sift you like wheat. Notice what Jesus' prayer is not. He doesn't pray that, uh, he doesn't pray for Peter's protection. He doesn't pray that, uh, that, that Peter would not experience being sifted like wheat. He doesn't pray that Peter would be delivered. No, he prays that your faith may not in other words, Jesus prayed specifically that Peter would endure the sifting. Not that he gets to be removed from it, that he would endure it, that he would persevere it, and that he would come out on the other side with a faith that was intact. That's what Jesus prayed for here. And not only, not only would it remain intact, but look at what he says after that. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So you've got Jesus praying for Peter, not that he would be delivered, not that he would be removed from, not that he would uh, not have to experience this sifting, but that as he went through the testing, as he went through the trials, that he would endure, that he would persevere, that when all the dust settles, his faith would remain intact. So not only does Jesus pray for Peter, like that's encouraging, But listen to Jesus' words. There's certainty. And and when you have turned again, not if you turn again, not if you endure, not if you persevere, but it's Jesus saying to Peter, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to come out on the other side of this with your faith intact. And when you do, he goes on and he's got a job description for him, right? Right? And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right, think about the significance of that. Right, Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows that Peter is about to deny him three times. Right? He's going to predict it here in just like the next verse. Jesus, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that Peter's going to have a, a moment of just failure. Jesus knows that he's going to have not just a moment of denial, three moments of denial. And yet Jesus is still quick to say, hey, when all is said and done, when you turn again, you're going to have your moment of failure. You're going to have your moment of sin. But when you turn again, I've got work for you to do. Go and strengthen your brothers. Now, you know what happens next. Jesus, or Peter, goes on and he, he overestimates his own strength, right? He's got a little more confidence in himself than he should have. That's kind of Peter's M.O. if you follow through the Bible, right? I love Peter. He just, like, constantly puts his foot in his mouth, constantly, like, just thinking or speaking before he thinks. Gives me great hope for myself, Okay? This is what Peter does, right? He he overestimates his own uh, own strength, his own confidence, and then he goes, he denies Jesus. And as the story goes on, there's this powerful scene where, uh, Christian just read it, where Peter goes through like three different opportunities to uh, proclaim his allegiance to Jesus. And all three times he punts on it. And then in verses 61 and 62 of the same chapter, you've got this moment where after the third denial, all of a sudden the rooster crows, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Now, like, imagine the weight of that moment. Right? When the Savior of the world, Jesus, is being beaten and mocked, For not only the sin of the world, but the sin that Peter just committed, and he locks eyes with him. The text says that he goes out, he remembered immediately what Jesus said. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And if that was the end of the story, well, this would be another heavy Sunday. And you guys would not leave here encouraged, right? But that's not the end of Peter's story. Because what would happen is eventually Jesus would... He would be crucified, right? He would be buried. But on the third day, he rose again, right? One of the gospel accounts says that Peter was one of the first people there to see the empty tomb, right? John goes on in his gospel and records this, another really powerful moment with Jesus and Peter, a whole nother conversation, right? And what's happened is they're on the shore. Jesus has just showed up and Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you, do you love me? And he says it not once, not twice, but three times. All right, some, some scholars say that the reason Jesus asked him three separate times is this is his, his three chances to sort of right, redeem his denial, his three denials. I don't know if it's true or not, but the point remains that, that Jesus gives Peter this opportunity to proclaim once again his love for Jesus, his allegiance to Jesus and after all three of those Jesus says to Peter then go feed my sheep or you might say go strengthen your brothers this is what Jesus says to Peter and, and that's what Peter that's what he does you, you go in and read from that point Acts chapter 2 day of Pentecost right? Peter shows up, and instead of denying Jesus as he did uh, just a few days earlier, you've got Peter preaching to uh, thousands of people. It says that on that day, 3,000 people repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Now you trace Peter, uh, his story through the book of Acts. He is over and over again, not, not an example of, uh, of how he just blew it, Right with his denials, but over and over again he's an example of boldness and uh, steadfastness in the face of persecution. Right, he's, a, he's a picture of resilience in the face of resistance. Right, Peter's not remembered for uh, royally blowing it. He's remembered for his involvement in preaching the gospel, the spread of the gospel, the advance of God's kingdom, the growth of the church. That's Peter. Peter would go on and write two letters that would be included in the New Testament that you're holding in, in your hand or, or on your phone. All right, 1 and 2 Peter. Written by Peter. 1 Peter specifically written to people that were going through tests and trials of their own, it's people that were uh, being sifted like wheat. Right, he, he writ as he writ, that's not even a word. Or at least not one we use in <laughs> modern English. Right, he wrote. To people who were going through the same thing that he experienced right and then uh, as church history tradition has it Peter went on uh, for 30 years preached the gospel spread the gospel right helps the church to grow the kingdom of God to advance and then eventually was sentenced to crucifixion just like Jesus by Rome under Emperor Nero uh, but as there's It's not confirmed, but as tradition says, that Peter actually asked to be crucified upside down because in his eyes he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. That's Peter's story. What I want you to see is that, that Peter's faith may have wavered. It did waver. Not may have, it did. Peter's faith may have faltered. But when all was said and done, when all the dust settled, Peter's faith never failed. How? Because Jesus finishes what he started. Right? Jesus was faithful to begin a good work in Peter, and he brought it to completion. And that's not just true of Peter. That's true of, of all who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He began a good work in you. He's faithful to see it through to completion. All right, if, these, if the events of Luke's, not Luke's, Luke wrote this. If the events of Peter's life tell us anything, right, if the trajectory of Peter's life tells us anything, it's that genuine faith is revealed in repentance, not in sinlessness. You hear that again. Faith is evidenced in our repentance, not just once at the beginning of our Christian life, but over and over and over again, so long as we journey with Jesus, right? Our faith is evidenced in our repentance, our turning from sin, not just in our ability to live a sinless life. Right? Because if faith was about not sinning, well, then Jesus' prayer for Peter didn't work, did it? So clearly Jesus doesn't see our faith as just keeping a spotless record. Right, our faith is evidenced in a life marked by repentance, which clearly this is what Peter's life was. So I, mean, so I could just encourage you this morning. Your sin, your failures, your flaws do not have the final say over your life. Right? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, your sin does not determine the trajectory of your life at least it doesn't have to it doesn't have to and i'm i'm convinced that this is one of the ways that that the enemy continues to sift us like wheat still today. He convinces us that because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our flaws, because of our failures, because of our past, because of our history, because of our Uh, ongoing battle with temptation that somehow we're not useful in the advance of God's kingdom. I'm convinced the enemy just takes that, whatever that looks like for you, and he just accuses you over and over again. The Bible says that Satan is an accuser of the brothers. And I'm convinced that one of the ways he gets us on the sideline is he just reminds us of all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our sin, our past history are seasons of rebellion, and he dwells in us the idea, the lie, that because of those things, or because of that thing, that all of a sudden we're not useful in God's kingdom. And, and the story of Peter is that nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, Peter denied knowing Jesus, flat out. And yet Jesus Redeems and restores Peter's life to advance the kingdom, to spread the gospel, to strengthen the brothers, as he said. And I just want you to know you, you cannot believe the lie that, that God cannot use somebody who's, whose life is as broken and messy as yours. You just can't believe that. Because, like, you do realize. If God can't use broken and messy people, like He's got nothing to work with, right? I mean, you just go through, go go through the the Bible, right? I'm not going to do it all. Just let's hit a few highlights, right? Moses. We think of Moses as like this great deliverer of God's people, right? He delivered people, the people of Israel across the Red Sea on the dry land into the out of slavery, and he did those things. But you also remember that, like, in a violent Rage, like he murdered a guy, and we forget about that part, right or or think about King David, right King David, the celebrated king of Israel, even before that, the celebrated shepherd boy who slayed the Goliath, right God, the enemy of God's people, right went on to be the the king of Israel, even Jesus descended from from David's lineage and yet. David committed adultery with another man's wife and then murdered that man to cover it up. By the way, still referred to after as a man after God's own heart. Right, jump to the New Testament, you got Paul. Right, we think of Paul, you know, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament, the straight, uh, maybe the greatest missionary church planner ever. But before he was Paul, he was an opponent of the church. He was a persecutor of Christians. Right, the, he, he approved of the, the murder of Christians, the stoning of Stephen. He was there for that. He, he, text says that he approved of it. He's on his way to have more Christians arrested when Jesus shows up and is like, oh, just kidding, you're on my team now. Like That's who Jesus uses. Broken... Messy people. And so you and I cannot believe the lie of the enemy that that God can't use broken and messy people. Because that's all he has to work with. Right? Now listen. I don't want to minimize sin. I, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Right? I, I'm not minimizing our sin. Right? It is serious. It is so serious that God sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sin. So I don't want to say that sin is something we just look over, look past, sweep under the rug. And if you need a reminder of that, just go listen to last week's sermon. Okay. But what I do want you to see is that even though our sin has, has consequences, sometimes immediate consequences, sometimes delayed consequences, sometimes lasting consequences, the reality is that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there's no more penalty for our sin. And because there's no more penalty for our sin, you and I are, are, are freed up. We're freed up to get in the game. right? Your sin, past, present, future, all of it, you've trusted in Jesus, it's all forgiven. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it doesn't render you useless. Your sin does not render you useless in God's, in God's eyes. If, if anything, your sin and your brokenness is like a canvas that God uses to sort of display his the beauty of his grace and his mercy. Right? Like, like we, let's just be real. We live in a world that loves to cancel people. Right? You blow it once, you're done. And so think of that what you will, but if nothing else, it's created a whole like, population of people that live with this idea of, oh, I've got to look perfect, I've got to look like I have it all together, I've got to put on like, my very, very best uh, face, I can't let anyone know that anything's wrong, because if I do, well then I'm out. And the cross of Jesus Christ says, no, you've already been outed. If you were perfect, there's no need for this. If you could get there on your own, there's no need for Jesus' perfect life and death in your place. And so the cross of Jesus actually frees you up to say, I am not perfect. I do not have it all together. I am broken. I am messy. I am jacked up far beyond what you would ever believe. And yet, praise God. That through his son, I've been redeemed, I've been adopted into his family. He knows my sin, he knows my failures, he knows my flaws, and he welcomes me anyways. Not because of what I've done, not because of how good I am, but because of what Christ has done for me. That's the good news of the gospel. I mean, how how, how, good, how good is that in, in a culture that says, like, you screw up once and you're out? Man, that, that's like, that's an apologetic for our message. Right? The gospel is good news. If you've trusted in Jesus, here's, here's what I want you to know. This is your story. That despite your sin, despite your past, maybe even despite your present You've been adopted into God's family. He purchased you at a great price. It was the price of his own son. And look at me. He doesn't have buyer's remorse. You guys ever had that? You ever bought something and like a week later, you're like, that was a bad idea. Some of you need to hear, like, Jesus has never looked at you like that. He knew what he was buying on the cross, and he's never, he's never like went back and be like, oh, what was I doing? I mean, can't they just get it together already? Like, Jesus has never looked at you like that. Jesus, Jesus went to the cross so that you could be adopted into God's family, and God did not adopt you into his family for you to just go sit in the corner and think about what you've done. Right? He's invited you into his family. To use you to advance the good news of the gospel. That's what you've been bought, purchased, redeemed for. So, here's what I'm gonna leave you with this morning. This is some words from 1 Peter, written by Peter. Here's what Peter says. I want you to hear this. Just, not even just hear it, like receive this this morning. This is 1 Peter, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Notice, that's what you are now. It's not what you will be one day when you get your act together. That's not what you might be someday if you can finally figure this out. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've trusted in Him, you've repented of your sin This is true of you. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. But more than that, He's called you all those things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. he's, He's... saved you, forgiven your sin, brought you into relationship with himself by his grace, by his mercy, so that you would have a spot on the team. And it's not at the end of the bench, just hoping you get in the game someday. You're on the team now. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sin has been dealt with fully and forever. So that you could get in the game. You repent of your sin, and your repentance is met with restoration. That's Jesus' story. That's Peter's story, I'm sorry. That's your story. So get in the game. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning grateful. For the good news of the gospel, grateful for the good news of Jesus's life in our place, perfect life in our place that we could never live, His death on the cross in our place that we deserve to die, His resurrection, proving that His payment for sin was, was sufficient to cover all of our sins. So, Father, I pray this morning just for for these people here this morning, these men, these women imperfect as they are. Um, Lord, if they've trusted in you as Savior, I pray that they would, would just realize that despite their sin, despite their flaws, despite their failures, despite their history, goodness, maybe even despite their present, that you love them, that you've called them to yourself. And Father, I pray that that would stir them up to just continue a life of repentance so that you might meet that repentance with restoration. Father, maybe there's some here this morning that have never trusted in you. They've never surrendered their lives to you, Jesus. I pray that you would convict them of that. I pray that they would they would see the good news of the cross that they would drop any sort of facade of of acting like they have to have it all together or acting like they've got to be perfect in every way. Father, I pray that they would see your grace and your mercy lavished on them. I pray they would repent of their sin, place their trust in you, Jesus. That they would accept the invitation to be adopted into your family. Or that they would they would become a child, a son, a daughter of the, of the living God, you this morning. So, Father, whatever work you need to do in the hearts of your people, uh, you know. I don't know, but you know. And So I pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, you would do that this morning. Comfort where there needs to be comfort. Encourage where we need encouragement. Convict where we need conviction. We trust you to do that. We pray and ask all this.